Well, my name is Dan Swartz. I am the pastor of youth and young adults here at Emmanuel, and I have the exciting privilege of continuing in our series this morning uh, on Minnesota ice. If you've been with us up to this point, uh, you'll now have been able to see all of our preaching team as part of this series. You heard Caitlin introduce this idea. Uh, You heard Chris and Jason draw us into the need for us to engage our neighbors in our communities with the hospitality that Jesus taught uh, and practiced. Uh, And you heard about how we relate this to our teams and our workplaces and those around us. Well, today, we get to take it a step further. We go from the neighborhood to our teams, and now we get to talk about family. More specifically, we get to ask the question, how do we as a church community invite kids and teens in? How do we become a more welcoming place for kids and teens here at Emmanuel? Well, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Chris uh, say something very specific. See, Pastor Chris, for those of you who don't know, was a youth pastor in a former life. Uh, Well, this life, but for like a million years before planting ECC. And so last week he referenced this sermon and said that he wants to hear the amens ring so loud that he can hear them all the way from the Explore membership class down the hall. And as I shared the last service, the problem with that is that I come from a tradition that doesn't generally get amens. I'm more of the, I'm going to give you this deep theological insight and you'll lay in your bed for two weeks and then wake up one day and be like, oh, amen. But I I don't want you guys to get in trouble. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to quote the line from Chris's sermon that he said you should say amen to in my sermon. And you can say amen and he can hear you and then we're all safe, okay? Okay? Okay. Okay, so our kids and teens deserve our best, right? All right, I think that was good enough. You know, last service he said he didn't hear anything, but that was pretty good. So if you need to amen during the service, that's fine. We've warmed you up, but I won't feel offended if I don't get another one. (laughs) Well, in all seriousness, the question for us today is how do we welcome kids and teens into our community? Because the truth is they do deserve our best. And Jesus has a lot to say about them. And so today we're going to ask, how do we become a welcoming community for the childlike? Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open to Mark chapter 10. Uh, We've been in the book of Mark last week and we'll continue in it today. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some on the back table. I'd encourage you to grab one. That's our gift to you. We don't want anyone leaving without a Bible this morning. And so the book of Mark chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. It reads, and they were bringing children to him. That he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, at first glance, it might seem pretty obvious what we're going to talk about this morning, but uh, this passage actually has a lot more depth than I first thought when I looked at it. So we're going to dive in, but before we get too deep, let's kind of take this verse as a whole and look at the obvious. Now, can you agree with me on something? Following Jesus, which is what we're trying to do, means we try to be like Jesus, right? 
Yes? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Wow, man, one amen and you're done. <laughs> Following Jesus means we are trying to be like Jesus. You guys remember those WWJD bracelets that were popular in like 1999? Yeah. Somehow I couldn't find mine. I don't know where I must have put it. And although those may no longer be in style, uh, they may no longer be worn, the idea is sound, right? That we want to be like Jesus as followers of Jesus. And so if that's true, the question we ask when we look at this verse as a whole is, what does Jesus do when it comes to children? And I think it's pretty obvious that Jesus welcomed them. Or to put it another way, that Jesus was a kid person. Now, I know there are some of you in this room that every time I say kid, you get like a little chill that goes up your spine and gives you the heebie-weebies because you're like, no, I am not a kid person. I will never be a kid person. They are gross and messy and I don't like them and keep them away from me. And yet there are others in this room, I know because I work with some of you, that are like, I will jump in the middle of that pile of middle schoolers. They can climb all over me and do whatever they need to because they will do that if you let them. Some of you are really excited about the idea of being welcoming to kids, and some of you are like, I'm going to let somebody else do that, because uh-uh. But the truth is, Jesus welcomed kids and young people, and so we need to work that muscle, whether it's natural for us, or maybe a little bit harder than some of the other things. So, let's look at what it looks like. Before we jump in to this passage, let's look back to what Jesus has taught elsewhere. If we were to jump to his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, we would see in Matthew 5 that Jesus begins the sermon by saying, like, blessed are the, and the things he mentions in those first couple are, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek. See, Jesus often spent his time with people who fit these categories, right? Who were, who were poor or who were submissive because of their situation in life, uh, or who had plenty of reason to mourn. And Jesus preached a message that was freedom for the captive and uplifting for the downtrodden. Those who are low in the eyes of the world are those that Jesus sought to elevate, right? And so the question for us is, what about children? And I think what we see in this passage and what we see if we know how children were treated both in our culture and back then, we know that children are no exception. They too are marginalized and need to be elevated. Are there any parents in this room? Okay, okay. I too am a parent of an almost two-year-old, and I think we can agree on, on something, that being a parent is a blessing, and it can feel like a burden, right? I mean, I love being a parent, and if you ask Abraham and Sarah, they said being a parent was a blessing, right? When they had no parent, these are two people from the Old Testament, if you've heard of them, Abraham and Sarah, fathers of Isaac, uh, father and mother of Isaac. But they, they, were, they, were, they felt cursed by God because they didn't have a child. And then it was a huge blessing when he actually came. But if you look at the day-to-day, consider raising Isaac and Ishmael. It felt like a burden. And I think as parents, we can agree there are moments that raising kids is hard. And even if you're not a parent, there are moments where seeing other people's kids next to you is hard. Are there any parents of teenagers in this room? You don't even have to say amen. I can smell it on you. Okay, I know because I work with your students. It can be tough. And that's not different for the people that Jesus is encountering in this passage. They too saw students and children as a burden. In fact, they probably saw them as more of a burden than we do. We actually give students more leeway than they did. 
And so before we jump in and see how this affects our passage, I wanted to establish something here and now. And that's this. Children then... I, just, I want you to get this so bad. So children back then, they would go to school. They wouldn't be brought to hockey practice. They wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't spend $1,000 on lacrosse equipment. You wouldn't go to a dance recital, right? Their job was to learn from a rabbi and get as far as they can to being a rabbi until it seemed that they're not the next rabbi. And then they would go back and learn the family practice. And until they did that and could learn to give back, they got in the way. They were a burden, You see, we're going to see in this passage how that affects the way Jesus elevates these kids. Before we get there, we have to recognize that because kids are marginalized, they fit into the very category that Jesus says the kingdom of God is for. I said that Jesus starts his super famous sermon by saying, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, and blessed are those who mourn. Guys, that fits kids. All right? Poor. Every kid I know is poor because they have no money until their parents hand them a 20. And then they are rich. Every kid, at least every toddler I know, shows how to mourn better than anyone else. My daughter yesterday uh, showed this when I said, no more uh, Netflix, no more word party. (laughs) Kids can show us what it looks like to mourn. And kids are meek. At least sometimes they're submissive, right? And so I think it's fair to say that the category that Jesus preached to Those who were seen as low in the eyes of the world, but the gospel seeks to elevate, kids and teens fall into that category. And so before we dive into this passage, before we look and see what Jesus would have us learn as a community, we have to acknowledge this, that being like Jesus means welcoming the childlike. That being like Jesus means welcoming the childlike. That means children... And that means the marginalized, that means the oppressed, that means who don't look like us and who don't sound like us. And it definitely means those who haven't broken through the Minnesota ice into our community yet. And so, although today I'm going to focus on kids and teens, this doesn't do away with what Chris and Caitlin and Jason have shared. In fact, it only makes that stronger. We have a job to welcome those who have been blocked out of our community, and that includes children. And so I encourage you to write that down. Being like Jesus means welcoming the childlike. That's the outcast, the Passover, and the child themselves. Okay, let's look back at this Mark passage and see how this plays out with Jesus. What does Jesus welcoming the childlike look like? Because the truth is, if we look at this passage, we see the disciples doing what they thought was the right thing. We see kids coming on the scene And the disciples being like, whoa, 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 Jesus is teaching. You can't come here and be distracting. They weren't looking to be yelled at by Jesus. They don't like being yelled at by Jesus. Jesus is scary when he yells at you. And so they're like, we're going to keep this area under control because Jesus is teaching. They saw these children as a distraction to the service. And so they tried to get them out of the way. And they were recognizing that the parents that are bringing them, they're not here for second Tuesday of the month dedications. Their hope is that they can get their kids close to Jesus and maybe a little bit of Jesus goodness will rub off on them and they'll do better in school and they'll be better behaved and maybe they'll just make their lives a little bit easier. And and don't take my word for this. If we rewind back in the book of Mark to Mark chapter 5, we see a little bit of where this idea might have come from. 
Because in Mark chapter 5, we have the story of the woman who has this medical condition. She spent all of her money and time trying to get it fixed at doctors, and she's run out of resources. And she says, maybe if I just touch Jesus' clothes, I can be healed. And that's exactly what happens. She manages to bump up to Jesus in the crowd, and she's healed. And I don't know if these parents heard that story and knew this or just thought the same thing, but that's what they're trying to do in this passage. It says they were trying to get the children close to Jesus so that he might touch them. And the disciples are saying, "Uh uh-uh, this is not that kind of service. This is important, and your kids are just going to be distracting from what all of us adults need to do. We need to learn from the master. So the disciples didn't want any part of that distraction. They were upset at the distraction. But Jesus wasn't upset by the distraction. In fact, Jesus is upset at something else. He, he didn't want just some mystical interaction where maybe kids get touched by him and hopefully their lives improve. Jesus had more in mind for these kids than even the parents had for them. It's almost like Jesus saw the place of young people in his service. The place of young people when he was teaching was right at center stage, right next to him, rather than in a corner at kids' church or marginalized completely. Now, I'm not saying kids' church is bad. You're going to hear this several times. Kids' church is great. And as a community, we still have a job to do. You know, when I was trying to figure out why Jesus is so upset in this passage, trying to figure out what we can learn, the one word stood out to me here, and that word was indignant. And so I thought to myself, Dan, as the resident Greek scholar here at Emmanuel, I should look this word up in the Greek and share my immense knowledge with the congregation. I don't know why you're laughing, but uh, I looked up the word. It's agakoneo, and it means to be uh, indignant. So this is a good reminder for you and for me that this book, this Bible you have, it's accurate. The people who translated it, they actually had dictionaries and lexicons and looked up all the meanings. Uh, And 99% of the time, that's what you're going to find when you fact check them. And so I have no mystical knowledge to share with you from the Greek. But while I was looking it up, I said, let me see if indignant appears anywhere else in the book of Mark. And it actually does. If you fast forward to verse 41, you'll see indignant show up again. And rather than put it for you on the screen, I want to walk you through this story. Because what happens is Jesus' disciples come to him, James and John specifically, and they say, Hey, Jesus, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand in heaven. We want the best seats in the house. Please and thank you. And the rest of the disciples hear this, and they are indignant. And we get it, right? We get that they're like, well, just because you got here first, you get the best seats in heaven. That's not the way this works, brothers. We see them getting just as upset here as they did earlier in the book of Mark when they're arguing about who is the greatest. We see the disciples getting upset about who's the greatest and who has the best seats in heaven and what kids are distracting from Jesus' church service. And we see Jesus feeling that same level of upset, that same level of indignation over the opposite, over the fact that children are being kept from his presence. The people to whom the gospel is designed, the childlike, are being kept away from the king of heaven himself. So I think what we have to learn here is that indignation isn't the problem. Both Jesus and the disciples are indignant in this book of Mark in this chapter 10. 
But the disciples are indignant at these kids. And Jesus is indignant at the disciples. So the question for us is not, why do I get so upset when kids are distracting in church? I think there's a reason for us to be upset when we look around and some of our students aren't engaged. If you look and you see kids that are being disrespectful, you see kids that are asleep in church, you see kids that aren't acting the way they should when it comes to following Jesus. There's a reason for indignation, but maybe your indignation shouldn't be at those kids. Maybe it should be at something else. Maybe we shouldn't change the indignation we feel over today's young people. Maybe we should feel indignation that there's a generation that is disengaged in this church and maybe part of it is our fault. And you might be thinking to yourself, Dan, we're at ECC. We do a great job with our kids. This is your job. (laughs) And as I said before, we have an awesome kids ministry. We have a great teen ministry. And it can't stop there. That is not enough. And if we're not doing more than that, then we're going to grow up kids that are disengaged with the church. Let me explain this to you with an illustration. Uh, When I went to college, I met a friend there who I hung out with quite a bit. Uh, We spent a lot of our time together. And about two years into our friendship, we sat down and he said to me, Dan, I just realized something. I realized that whenever we hang out, we do whatever I want to do. I don't know if I've ever asked you what you want to do in our whole friendship. And at the time, I was like, ah, it's fine. We'll just do whatever you want to do. It's okay. And yet, I look back now, and I realize we're not as close as we could have been. Our friendship kind of fell apart. And I realize that's because he never got to know me in the things that I love. He never got to experience me in a context that I'm passionate about. If I applied this to my marriage, if I only did things that Bethany, my wife, loves, and she never did anything I love, our relationship would suffer. This is true in any other relationship that we have, and it's also true with the kids and teens in our church. Yes, we have a great kids ministry for them. Yes, we have a great teen ministry for them. Yes, we have a great preteen ministry for them. But if, the, if we see them in our church and we say, okay, you go to kids ministry, and if I see you in church, you better be quiet and not too energetic and not distract from what I'm trying to do here, is that welcoming them? Is that bringing them into the ministry that God has for them? Or is that us getting indignant at the wrong thing? And so maybe we need to change the object of our indignation. I want you to write this down and then I'm going to say something challenging. Change, don't change the indignation, change the object. Maybe you shouldn't be indignant when kids and teens get in your way at church. Maybe you should be indignant when you get in their way at church. You can come fight me on this after the service. But I believe this is what Jesus is saying, right? This is what he does in this passage. There are adults there to hear from Jesus. And there are kids there getting in the way. And Jesus clears everything out of the way for the kids. I got another one. It's a good day. (laughs) The truth is, I may be a youth pastor, but I am human. And I know it is so easy to be frustrated by students. Don't amen that, please. (laughs) 
It is so easy to get frustrated by students when we see them not paying attention, when we see them being disrespectful, or at least seeming so. Even when we see them having more energy than us, it can be like, oh my goodness, just stand still. Because we're old and exhausted. (laughs) But maybe the indignation we feel isn't fully justified. Now, pause. Students in the room. What I am not saying is how you act doesn't matter. How you act matters. Showing respect matters. Recognizing that when you come to church, there is a God who deserves respect. And this is a place where we gather to worship him matters. If you don't believe me, look up the story about Elisha and the she-bears. It will prove my point graphically. If you don't want to look up that one, look up where Jesus clears the temple of the money changers with a whip because they were not treating God's house the way they should. Or look up what happens to Ananias and Sapphira when they try to cheat and lie to God and they're not taking seriously what he is doing in the midst of his people. And so, although this is not a message about respect to you teens, know that there was a level of disrespect that Jesus didn't stand for and there's a level at church that we're not going to stand for as well. And so while I'm going to yell at the adults for the rest of the service, I want you to know there is still a responsibility that falls on your shoulders. So live into that. You'll hear more from me at youth group for the rest of your life. So (laughs) the truth is adults, while we hope our teens live into the respect that we're asking them for, it's usually the little things that we get most upset about, right? It's those little tiny things where we're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe she's drawing circles on her thing instead of taking notes. Ah! And maybe the ire we feel, maybe the anger we feel is not directed in the right place. You know, I believe strongly that we should feel indignation over this generation. I believe Jesus feels indignation when he looks and sees young people growing up in the church and then walking away when they become young men and young women. Jesus is not happy with that, and we shouldn't be happy either. But we should not be angry at those students. We should be angry at ourselves that we are not welcoming that generation into a church that keeps them there. Maybe the problem is not that students aren't growing up in the church. Maybe the problem is that we're not welcoming them into the body of the church. Maybe we're sending them to kids' church and hoping that they get what they need there. The truth is the Holy Spirit can communicate past the kid that is being distracting in church. The truth is that God doesn't need our preferences to be fulfilled. He needs us to obey and listen and welcome these kids. These kids and teens deserve our best. Amen? Amen. And so our job is to ask the question, how are my preferences, how are my feelings, and how are the ways that I treat kids and teens in my life and at ECC getting in the way of them knowing the gospel? And experiencing it in their lives. I want you to write this down. Am I hindering or am I welcoming? Because that's the question we need to ask as a community. Are we hindering young people from coming to Jesus? Or are we welcoming them as a part of the body that knows Jesus? We need to ask that as a community. And each of us needs to ask that of ourselves. Am I hindering or am I welcoming? See, Jesus wants our young people to be welcomed and blessed by the church. Right? If you look back at our passage, he says, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The 
kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And so are we getting in the way because of what we want, because we want our church service to be a certain way or because we want to be able to get first in the donut line and not let little Timmy jump in front of us every single time? Do we care more about our own preferences than we do about this next generation engaging and knowing Jesus? Let me explain to you why this is important one more time using Mark chapter 10. If you go forward a little bit further in Mark 10, you'll encounter the story of the rich young ruler. We know this guy was rich from this passage in Mark, but we know he was a young ruler from the parallel parallel passages in Matthew and Luke. And this guy is like the poster child for church, right? He grew up following all the rules, doing everything right. And he comes to Jesus saying, I've done everything, but I want to experience the kingdom of God. I want to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to him, okay, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And if you know this story, you know that he goes away sad because he had great wealth. And at the end, Jesus turns to his disciples and says how, rich, how hard it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, we are rich. We live in a country with a lot of resources, and that makes our kids rich. And that means it is hard for our kids and teens to inherit the kingdom of God. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words. And I think it is true because if we look at our kids and teens, we recognize that their window for being children is being shortened by all the resources they are exposed to. Yeah, money does some of that, but so does the things that come with it. Exposure to adult themes on the internet and in the things that they watch. Exposure to the pressure of having a lot expected of them and doing well in school. And with that comes adult anxiety and adult depression. And their window for being childlike is smaller and smaller. Friends, if that's not a reason for us to do a better job at welcoming kids and teens, I don't know what is. If it takes being like a child to have childlike faith in Jesus Christ, then we need to take advantage of the moments when our kids are childlike and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Jesus didn't just tell his disciples to let the children stand close by. It says that he took the children in his arms And blessed them, laying his hands on them. He wasn't doing that for anyone else in this service. None of the adults got to get their hands, or Jesus' hands laid on them and blessed by them. Jesus put these kids front and center and highlighted how important they are. And at ECC, we strive to do that too. Guys, we try to make a community here where teens can get to know one another and build genuine relationships. And they can build those with adults. That's why we have Wednesday night youth group where we get some of you guys to come in and be advocates for these teens, where they can share what it looks like to follow Jesus in that context. We do the same thing with our kids ministry and with our preteen ministry. We want our students, whether they are kids or whether they are young people, or honestly, whether it's any of you, we want people to see what it looks like to follow Jesus in the midst of genuine relationships. So that when kids encounter their questions, they have adults that can say, God is real. This is not a fairy tale, but I've experienced the living God and let me share it with you. And so the question for us, the way that we put this into practice is to ask, what can I learn and what can I give? What can I learn and what can I give? 
You see, if we want to follow the example of Jesus and be a more welcoming place to the childlike, especially to our kids and teens, we have to acknowledge that we have something to learn from them. It's been a few years since I would consider myself a child, although some of you may disagree. And yet the further I get from it, the harder it is for me to go back and remember what it's like to be a child. And the further I get from it, the more I need to be around those who are childlike. The more I need to be around these kids so they can remind me what it looks like to have childlike faith in Jesus Christ. They can teach me that. And at the same time, as a young person, you don't have the life experience that I do. You don't know what it looks like to follow Jesus and have him show up time and time again. And so I can look you in the eyes as you're dealing with your childlike faith and say, Jesus is real. Let me show you what he has done. Friends, we have something to learn and something to give with our young people. But we can't do that if we throw them in kids' church and we stay in adult church and just hope that it happens. We've been recommending this resource called The Art of Neighboring uh, all throughout this series. And this is one of our magnets from the table. You can grab one if you like. Uh, But I'd like you to consider this and think of the teenagers at ECC, the young people, the kids those who you would consider childlike. Could you fill this out with their names? Could you put nine names on here? And I don't mean just names. I mean what we've been encouraging for the whole series. Do you know their favorite ice cream? Do you know what they want to do when they grow up? Do you know if they even like church or not? The question for us is, do we have genuine relationships with the next generation? Or are we just hoping that kids' church will get them to come back next week. Friends, what's beautiful about kids' church, what's beautiful about Wednesday Night Teen is that people are building those relationships and we need all of us to be advocates for this generation. We need all of us to step up and get to know the kids around us and encourage them with what it looks like to follow Jesus. You know, I'm not asking you please don't do this, to go take this and find eight kids and write their names down. That is hindering. That is the opposite. But if you don't have names you can put on here, I'd love to talk to you. Melissa would love to talk to you. Caitlin would love to talk to you. Kim would love to talk to you. Kelsey would love to talk to you. We have loads of people who are advocates for our teens that would like to show you how to do this in a healthy way. And so write it on your connection card. Help me connect with teens. And we'll say, okay. Because we believe this is important. In a minute, you're going to get to hear a little bit from one of those advocates who's going to share about his experience at a former church and then his experience again here at ECC. Someone who is willing to step out in faith and say, God, I'm not natural at this, but I'm going to do what you ask of me. And so I want you to see his testimony and ask yourself, what does it look like for me to take a step in this. And for some of you, it's going to be to join me on Wednesday nights or on Sunday mornings with preteen or teen. For some of you, it's going to be to join Melissa and the kids' ministry team on Sunday mornings for Camp ECC this summer. Give it a test drive. But for others who really get the chills bad, this means the teams you already serve on, like the worship team, to acknowledge those students who are already there and don't just say, great, we have a teen on this. We did it. Get to know them. Ask them a real question. Share a little bit about what following Jesus looks like. 
Guys, we are not a teen church, a kid's church, and an adult church. We are one church that is following Jesus, and we need to welcome our whole family together as we do so. And so my challenge to you guys as we watch this video is let's break the ice that's between us and welcome the child like whether it's a kid, an adult, a young adult, or a person that is older than that. <laughs> let's break the ice and welcome everybody to the table of following Jesus. Uh, let me pray and then we'll roll this video. Um, Father God, I ask that the words that were spoken this morning would lay the groundwork for us to become a more welcoming community to the childlike. I pray that we would welcome both kids and young people and those who come with a childlike posture to know you. May there be nothing that stands between anyone who would know you and actually knowing you. May we be used by you in this process. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Jim Nimlas, and I've been at ECC since the ECC got started. And uh, I'm on the welcome team, and I started with youth a couple years ago with sixth graders. And my role is just to be whatever they need me to be. I started getting involved with youth ministry, uh, kind of just a calling that I hadn't uh, experienced like that before. When we were at a Wednesday night rally night, and I was just being there as a parent, Chris got up there and said, you know, we're doing really great. We're doing super. We need a few more guy leaders, especially seventh grade guy leaders. And it was just like God was speaking right to me. For me personally, it was just a tremendous growth experience. I mean, asking the kind of questions that they ask. And, you know, you got to look it up. You know, if I don't know the I'm not going to know the answer, but let's look it up. And... And talk about it and and that's where it really grew in my faith it was a tremendous experience uh, doing that um, I would never give that up for anything I, I didn't get into it to try to grow personally but that's what happened one of the things that we did and I made sure that we did is we always would ask the guys to pray for each other whatever it was when there were other answered prayers that happened and all of a sudden these guys realized this is for real how do we welcome teenagers into the life of the church? I think it's like anything else. They have to know that you care about them. If they know that you care about them, they are going to want to be a part of that. You see it happening. When things are happening, when they have fun, when they see God moving, that is critical. And when that happens... They are going to invite their friends because people want to be a part of something where things are happening. Christianity is caught, not taught. If you are living it, they will see that. If you are faking it, no one knows that faster than a teenager. My dream for these guys is that they would be close-knit friends, that they could depend on each other to have that long-term friendship because that's what the kingdom is all about, is bringing people into the kingdom. And you've brought those people in, in that kind of a way, who knows what God's going to do. 
uh, when they become close-knit friends like that, I think that makes a huge difference. God is very efficient in what he does. God is a great multitasker. So he works in us as well as he works in them. And it all comes together and there's nothing to be afraid of. Friends, we're doing great here at ECC when it comes to kids and teens. And we could use your help. You know, this may seem like an overwhelming task, and if you're a parent, you know that it is. And so I want to encourage you with these words. So before I do, again, I just want to say, if you want to help out, mark something on your connection card. Come talk to one of us. Shoot an email to anyone listed at the bottom of your bulletin under that resource page, because we would love to help you take the next step. But be encouraged by this. It may seem impossible, but in that very passage about the rich young man, the disciples voice the same thing. They say, If this man can't be saved, who can? And Jesus says, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. Live in that truth today and go in peace.